0: Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Mike Freeman. Enjoy. I always tell myself when I'm doing this, I'm gonna take it easy during worship. (laughs) But I can't on these mornings. So I've literally already expended all energy available this morning, which means I'm working on divine reserves. (laughs) Your prayers are appreciated. Of course, if I pass out before we're done, be not alarmed, just raise, prayer, exits, you got a bonus. Ah, well, shalom, my friends. My name is Mike, and I am your server today. Although I'm not here to take your orders, parents perishes, and so the rich man also will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the one who endures, who perseveres, under trial, For when he has passed the test, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own desires. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. You know this, my dear brothers, and so therefore, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Human anger doesn't bring about the path of God, of justice and righteousness in this world. And so rid yourselves of all that trashy wardrobe that you used to wear, how you used to do life, piled high with all of your broken ways, and in humble brokenness wrap yourselves around the word that's already embedded in you which is able to make you whole. But you must be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, well, this is like a man observing his natural face. You know that one that he was born with? Observing it, studying it carefully in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and then, who am I? What do I look like? He forgets. But whoever stoops, stops and stoops to look in to the perfect Torah, the divine pathway of instruction and in life that sets us free and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, a poetes ergu, a craftsman of deeds, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks... He is religious, but has a runaway tongue. He deceives his own heart and his religion? Useless. Religion, pure and untainted, is this. To help orphans and widows in their troubles, and to keep oneself thusly unspotted by the world. My dear friends, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Lord, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, clothed in fine apparel, and there also comes in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, oh, you sit here, sit here in a good place. But you say to the poor man, oh, uh, will you please over there, or, or, or just sit here at my feet. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Isn't it the... Hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have despised the poor men. Isn't it the rich that oppress you and drag you into the courts? Aren't they the ones that blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? But you have dishonored the poor men. Brothers, whoever keeps the whole Torah and departs in one point has left the entire path. For the one who said, don't murder, also said, don't commit adultery. Now, if you don't murder, but you do commit adultery or vice versa... You become one who has left the path. You become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who will be judged by the perfect law that sets us free. For judgment will be without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. My brothers, what use is it if you say you have faith but you have no Deeds to back that faith up. Can that faith save you? If a brother or sister is a, is without clothing and in need of daily food, one of you says to them, "Oh, depart in peace, be warmed and filled." And yet you don't provide for their bodily necessities. What use is that? In the same way, faith, if it's not demonstrated and accompanied by action, is useless. Now, someone's going to say, Well, I have faith, you have works. Well, show me your faith without your deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Bravo, well done. Demons also believe, and they're trembling. But are you willing to recognize this, O oh foolish man, that, that faith without action is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by what he did when he offered up Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Don't you see that faith and what he did were working together and that his faith was made complete by what he did? And the scripture is fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Don't you see that you're justified not by what you say you believe? But by what you actually do about it. And likewise, was not Rahab, woman, outsider, prostitute? Was she not justified by what she did when she received the messengers with peace and then sent them out? So you see, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead also. Brothers and sisters, don't many of you become teachers, rabbis, reverends, pastors? What are you thinking? Because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For many things, we all stumble. If anyone doesn't stumble in his speech... Well, then he's a perfect man, able to control his whole body as well. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths so that they may obey us, and we turn about their entire body as well. Consider also the ships, though they're so large and driven by fierce winds, yet they're turned about by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold how great a forest is kindled by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The world of iniquity among our members is the tongue, defiling the whole body and setting on fire the course of one's life, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature in the sea is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Whether we bless our God and Father, whether we curse men and women who are made in the image of God, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. Oh, my brothers and sisters, it ought not to be this way. Does a fountain produce both fresh and bitter water? Does a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine figs, my sisters? Even so, a salty spring does not produce fresh water. So who then is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it, not by how he talks, but by how she walks. In the meekness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, don't boast and lie about the truth. That, that wisdom's not from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where bitter envy and rivalry and petty where that is, there is confusion in every vile deed. Ah, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And peacemakers who sow in peace are the ones to raise a harvest of righteousness. So what's the source of conflicts and what's the source of quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that are at war within you? You want something, and you can't have it. You're ready to kill for it, and still you go on struggling for it. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives. That you might consume it upon your own pleasures and desires. Adulter says, Seriously! Don't you know that those who would be a friend of the world make themselves an enemy of God? Or do you think the scripture speaks in vain? The spirit that he he made to dwell in us lusts to the point of destructive envy. And you think God's going to keep pouring more grace on that? What does he say? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Oh, my brothers and sisters... Will you stop speaking against one another? He that speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks against the Torah and judges Torah. And there's one Torah giver who is able to save and to destroy. So who are you to be judging your neighbor? Come now, you that say, today or tomorrow we're going to go in such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell to make a profit, whereas you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. No, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live And then do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. And so therefore to the one who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich. Weep, howling for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up your treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, harvested your food, lined your shelves, sewed your clothes, assembled your electronics. The wages which you kept back by fraud cry out. And the cries have reached the ears of Adonai Savaot, the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You've only fattened your hearts on a day of slaughter. You've condemned. You have murdered the innocent. And he does not resist you. So be patient, therefore, my brothers and sisters. Be patient. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. And so you also. Be patient. Establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Take, my brothers, as an example of patience and suffering. The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count them blessed who endured. You've heard of the patience of Job, yes? Yes? And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings with him, that the Lord is very merciful and full of compassion. So you also be patient and establish your hearts because his coming is at hand. And, brothers, I say it again, and sisters, stop grumbling. Quit your grumbling. Stop grumbling against one another, my brothers. Because the judge is standing at the doors. And above all, will you quit the oaths? Piling oath on top of oath on top of oath on top of oath. Stop it. Learn how to say yes and mean it. Equally important, learn how to say no and mean it. Lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Life is good. Then let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, call for the more experienced among you. They've seen this before, they've, they've got the wisdom of years, they're seasoned. Call the elders and let them pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, healed on every level. See, the ongoing prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. His neighbors were not pleased. (laughs) And then he prayed again, and 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 prayed again. And heaven gave its rain, and the earth produced its harvest. Oh, my brothers and sisters, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone cares enough to go after him and bring him back, let that one know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's word. Uh, I appreciate that, but you're only making it weird, okay? That wasn't my speech. This was, of course, Book of James, who more correctly would be named Jacob because, and I did apologize to this James beforehand, there is no James in the Bible. Okay, I I went into my little pet peeve in the devotions this week, so you can go back and listen to that. But they're all Jacobs. They're all Yaakovs. (sighs) But James sounds a lot less Jewish. That's the brutal truth of it, people. (sighs) Can we really listen and follow a Jacob? God of Jacob. Wow. It's my favorite name for God, actually. This is a Jacob Anybody remember the derivation of the word Jacob? What does it mean? Heel catcher, okay. We don't go around saying, hey, you're a heel catcher, aren't you? People say, what? (laughs) So let's just get something a little bit modern in our translation. What is a heel catcher? Okay, usurper. Okay, you're talking like the founding fathers now, though, but... (laughs) Uh, Cheater, con man, a heel. We actually, you just get the heel parts. You've got it. I am the God of the heel, not the hero. Wow. Okay. I just served you the main course of Jacob's letter. What shall we call this? Because this would be... My friend Simon, this would be sermon number two at this point. This is the second talk. Normally, I would just get up and recite James and be done and have mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And right now, you're feeling merciful and triumphy. And now I'm going to talk and just totally ruin everything. <laughs> so what shall we call this? Dessert? Maybe a palate cleanser. Because I remain Mike, your server. Yes? Yes? I have two anchoring practices because, not to be outdone, I don't merely have a paragraph for you. I don't merely have a verse or two verses or five or six. I just gave you 108. Because my anchoring passage is the whole necklace of this string of pearls in James. I didn't set out to make it so, it just happened. Okay, now, uh, Rob, there is a picture. We can show the picture here, the first picture. Okay, it might come. Is Rob still up there? Am I? Oh. Okay, all right, all right, all right. That, that, okay, good, we'll go to that one. That was a spoiler on the first one, okay. Okay, <laughs> this is me in 1977. That means me on your right, The young, tall fellow with all of that glorious dark hair. All right. I still have the hair. It's changed a bit, though. 1977, I was 18 years old. Next to me is standing Harmon Thompson. All right, Harmon Thompson was my first mentor. You see, and and I recounted my story a bit in the devotions. So, you know, go to Green Pastures. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say devotions, it's Green Pastures. You can go. You can listen to me if you want to go to your, you know, wherever you get your your apps, find Green Pastures, and and listen to Saturdays, yesterdays. And I tell the story a bit. But as an 18-year-old, I found myself in a family, a little Church of Christ in the San Fernando Valley. Harmon Thompson was uh, Harmon. <sighs> he led an Old Testament study on Tuesday nights. Mostly it was the older people. This is a church with a mix of old people, young people, youth. We all worship together in the same room, because you can do that when you've got 70. And that's just what we did. Um, and Harmon invited me in. Harmon empowered me, um, said, "Here, he's going through kings." And he said, "Take Hezekiah." Tell us about Hezekiah on a Tuesday night, and so I'm here I am, the 17, 16-year-old kid, however I was. But Harmon and me, gave me the Strong's Concordance, this one right here, to be exact, okay, which I still have. Um, he signed it to Mike Freeman, um, just in case I was confused, this is which Mike he might have had in mind. Use it to explore the riches of the worth. Harmon and Reva Thompson, June 1977. Because Glorious to actually have to use this yesterday to prepare for this. Because yes, I use concordances too. I got into a habit because I was infected, a viral infection of hunger for the word, from which I have never recovered. I started reading voraciously. I started memorizing whatever popped out at me. And I, so that was my journal. I just wrote scriptures down. And pretty soon I started noticing scriptures connecting. And with James, I mean, I've got James 1 and 2. And then I've got James 5. And then I've got James chapter 1, verse 12. And then 17. Oh, and then there's verse, verse 22. And then there's 26. And, and wait, what if you connect these? Oh, then I'd have a whole chapter. This would be so cool. And then what if I went on from there? I could memorize this entire letter. Nobody told me not to. I just did it. And this was for me. It was personal. This was my, this was my anchoring practice. And so the one I would give to you and commend to you, it is a bit scary indeed, but I would commend to you the practice of memorizing retaining, absorbing larger chunks of Scripture because the fact is your life is going to be far too adventurous for far too many seasons for you to just anchor into a narrow bandwidth of a verse or two or even a multiplication. Oh, there's this verse here, this verse here. Root yourself in a larger piece and tract of soil. Root yourself in a larger chunk of scripture. For me, it ended up being James. This is primal, and I went on to memorize all the letters because I could do it with one. Let's just keep going here. It was fun. I started with the smaller ones and then worked up to the bigger ones. But it was a primary practice. Now, what I want to what I want to give you, oh, this is where I, okay, hang on, sorry, because now this is gonna be, oh, okay, that's still there, but I do need to hit refresh because that's not gonna go anywhere. You know, I'm talking about memorization. Some of you think, wow, that guy's so talented. No, I've been parroting for 40 years. And I still, get, I still flip things and get things wrong, but you don't notice. That's why I always tell people, put your Bibles away and just listen to Scripture the way it was meant to be heard. This is a oral document. It's something where there's a reader and there are hearers. Anyway, okay, here we go. If you are interested in this pursuit of memorization, let me get down to this here. Hang on, hang on. Oh, I've got to read this first. Okay, Bible Project, Tim Mackey. This was just too good. Had it in the devotions at the start of the week, but this was just too good. Jacob's goal, that would be Jacob's, a.k.a. James, okay. Jacob's goal isn't to share new theological information, but rather to get in your business... And challenge how you live. This book is a beautifully crafted gut punch. Wow. For those who want to follow Jesus. That's how I experienced James. It gut punched me right out of legalism. Gut punched me right into the vineyard. I was finally in a place where James is bearing fruit. In my head for all those years. And now it's heart and it's hands. Emphasis on the hands. This was 1997. Couldn't believe it. 20 years after that picture. And it's like, I have finally found the land of James. So this has been a long-term process for me. I've taken it with me through all the seasons of life. I narrated that yesterday. Again, you can listen to that. But let me just give you, can I just give you really quickly. Oh, oh and go, go back, Rob, if you please. There's the, the picture after me and, and Harmon. If you can go back to the next picture, that's a picture of Jesus in the wilderness. Because unless you, just in case you're thinking this is just a rather eccentric, odd fellow. And this is impossible, we can't do this. Jesus in the wilderness, met by the tempter, three specific temptations, right? What did he respond with each time? Scripture. What specifically in scripture? What book? Anybody know? Deuteronomy. What do you think he carried with him into the wilderness? Deuteronomy. I'm guessing was his formative text that he carried when he was facing off with himself, with his mission, with a tempter. He carried Deuteronomy. He had a formative text, Deuteronomy. Yes, he's the son of God. But the son of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood And he lived in the text of Deuteronomy. Also Psalms, also Isaiah. Definitely those three favorite places for him. So this is a Jesus practice. You want the results of Jesus in your life? I suggest you do the things that Jesus did. The basic dictum of Dallas Willard in the divine conspiracy. You want the results? Look. You want the fruit? Look to the root of how Jesus lived. All right? Because um, you didn't carry scrolls, people. You carried words here. I have, I have laid on so many gurneys for surgery, for scopings. I have been in so many places where I have no book available. Long before there was ever a phone to go to Bible Gateway and call it up real quick, if I could even have access to my phone at the moment. But when you've got it here, you've got it here. All right, so... How do you do this? How do we do this? Okay, number one, find a complete thought. Forget verses. It's hard, but forget them. Forget verses. Find a complete thought, which means you're using a translation you can understand, because if you don't get the thought, you're going to have a very difficult time remembering this, and no one is going to be enjoying themselves. Find a complete thought, and then read it out loud. Read it out loud. This is so pivotal. Read it out loud. Be emotive. Be dramatic. I love doing this in my morning walks along the canal. The Mallards are always very impressed. (laughs) Find a complete thought. Read it aloud. Write it down. I love doing it on chalkboards. That's this old technology where you have this board and it's on a wall. And there's this stuff called chalk. And then you write, I would write on that chalkboard. Now, for the most part, honestly, it's here where I will do chalkboard, old tech. Write it down, write it down, read it aloud. write it down, get a rhythm. Johnny Cash, get a rhythm when you get the blues. This is not just a rhythm in the words, it's your rhythm in how you retain them. It's going to be different. Find your rhythm and find the rhythm in the words. There's a rhythm in these words. Find it. You find it as you read it aloud, as you write it down. Um, and do this little and often. Little and often. If I get up and I say, My brothers, consider a pure joy whenever you fall in all kinds of trials. My brothers, consider a pure joy whenever you fall in all kinds of trials. My brothers, consider a pure joy when you fall in all kinds of trials. My brothers, consider a pure joy when you fall in all kinds of trials. How many times did I just recite that? You might say four times. As far as my brain is concerned, I did it once. Little and often. Little and often. Little and often. You take it with you through the day. I use my notepad and this phone. This is great. I don't have to carry three by five cards anymore. It's right here. Whatever I'm trying to master, there it is. I'm standing in line. Little and often. And so, boy, James preaches great in the line at Fred Meyer. Come now, you rich, weep howling for the miseries that are coming upon you. Preach is great. Costco, great place. (laughs) Don't even get me started on Whole Foods. (laughs) Little and often, little and often. Now as you do this, and this is B, if you're, because you find a complete thought and you say it aloud and you write it down, you're doing this little and often. And then it's just a matter of connecting those thoughts. The connective tissue. And that's why you, as you start, as you're saying it aloud and you're writing it down, you start noticing little connective bits called conjunctions and such. And you start seeing how they come. And you find the flow. And you hear the rhythm of James. Now, James can be a challenge because he's got some fairly abrupt breaks, which is why you probably never hear it taught from the pulpit here. Because how do you outline this thing? Even the Bible project couldn't do it. They just put 12 circles. All he talks about this, 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 and this, this. Uh, um, Kind of a general theme of wisdom. He's all over the place. Because it's a stream of Jacobian consciousness is what it is. Connect the thoughts. Sometimes you have to get creative with this. But connect the thoughts. And then repeat, repeat. Repetitio et mother memoriae. Mater memoriae, I think is how it goes. Repetition is the mother of memory. Do I have a gifting for memorizing scripture? No, I'm a human being who flunked. Oh gosh, my grades were so pathetic in the ninth grade. It was actually an English teacher in the 10th grade that empowered me. I wrote an essay and she read it in front of the class. I'm this nerdy kid at the back that usually is just target practice for others. And she read it and she said, all of you did so pathetically, but here's one that gets a C plus. Best paper in the class. And she read it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is not a good day. But a part of me is remembering, like Mr. Keating in Dead Poet Society, don't you ever forget this moment. And I haven't. I can write, which means I can think. Whoa. I can read. I can write. I can think. Whoa. Teach your kids this. You'll be doing well. The rest will follow. Um, repeat, repeat, repeat. Keep adding those thoughts. And, but find something. Sermon on the Mount. Oh, how I wish... What would my life have been like if I let the Sermon on the Mount mess me up for the last 40 years? It's been James, very close. It's like another version of the Sermon on the Mount through his brother, because his brother just had to explain what his other brother was actually saying. That's 108 verses, okay? Simon, I think you would say this is probably my third sermon. It's just ancient practice, anchoring practice number two. It is ancient, it is anchoring. And these will be the two specific verses and they are specifically, 26, 27, if anyone thinks they're religious, but they have a runaway tongue, they deceive their own heart, and their religion is empty show. What does that say about our world of podcasts? And what does that say about me, a pastor with a runaway mouth up here? Wow. Because where there are many words, what is not absent? Sin. Yeah? Yeah, religion is an empty show with that runaway mouth, my friend. Religion, pure and untainted before our God and Father, is this. Coming alongside orphans and widows and helping them bear the often crushing weight of life. Yes, I've gone into full Mike's Amplified Version at this point. These are all in the Greek words. I'm just working off the Greek words here. Philipsis is crushing weight. It crushes you like Gethsemane, you understand. Those, some of being crushed by Gethsemane doesn't just need a tract. They don't just need an encouraging word. Now, sometimes that can be like a cup of cold water. Don't misunderstand me, but my point is somebody bearing up under the crushing way of life just needs you to show up and be there in silence or in speaking as needed or in serving as called for. Be there coming alongside them and helping them dare the often crushing weight of life and in so doing, keeping oneself unsullied by the means and methods of a cold, callous, and calculating world. Oh, that'll serve as an anchor piece as well as anything in James. And it also explains why I'm here. This is why we stayed here. It wasn't because of the bistro tables that filled this room. It wasn't because of, well, at that time it was Casey Corum Casey Coram, uh, John Jones, Ian, Ian Townend. Ah, wow. Amazing. But it's not where we stayed. We stayed because there was a pantry in what was what now my office. And I looked at Lorne and said, we can go give food to the poor here and pray for them. What? And we did. James isn't being novel or new here. The anchor practice, this is what I will give you, and I do need to cut this, okay? There'll be too much palate cleansing. He'll have no palate left. (laughs) Anchor practice here, help that one in need right there. That one. Mother Teresa said it, never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time. And always start with the person nearest you. Now, she had numbers. I mean, I looked up. I actually did a search. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, yeah. It was a search for how many people did Mother Teresa help feed At the time of her death, Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity had over 4,000 sisters, and associated brotherhood of 300 members, and over 100,000 lay volunteers operating 610 missions in 123 countries. That's a lot of numbers, Mother Teresa. But Mother Teresa says, no, never worry about the numbers. Help one person at a time. Do what? Do for that one what you wish you could do for all. And start with the person nearest to you. I used the concordance yesterday. Uh, this concordance. Looked up widows. Because I, I knew there were seven passages in Deuteronomy. And um, ugh, okay. I'm really trying to be responsible this morning with your time. There are seven passages in Deuteronomy. And I've got them all listed here. How about I just read them real quick? Okay. What is Deuteronomy? Anchor passage for Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. That's Deuteronomy, which means he cycled through these on a regular basis as he's walking those 40 days in the wilderness. This is what he carries with him. Those anchoring passages. Look around you. Everything you see is God's, the heavens above and beyond, the earth and everything on it. So cut away the thick calluses from your heart and stop being so willfully hard-headed. God, your God, is the God of all gods. He is the master of all masters, a God immense and powerful and awesome. He doesn't play favorites. He takes no bribes, but makes sure orphans and widows are treated fairly, takes loving care of foreigners, That's a ger in Hebrew, which means someone who's a temporary resident without inherited rights. Ooh, that's a ger. Take loving care of foreigners by seeing that they get their food and clothing. You must treat foreigners with the same loving care. Remember, you were once foreigners in Egypt. Next one. At the end of every third year, gather the tithe from all your produce of that year and put it aside in storage. Keep it in reserve for the Levite who won't get any property or inheritance as you will and for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow who live in your neighborhood. That way they will have plenty to eat and God, your God, will bless you in all your work. Next one, celebrate the feast of weeks to God, your God, by bringing your free will offering. Give it as generously as God, your God, has blessed you. Rejoice in the presence of God, your God, you, your son, your daughter, your servant, your maid, the Levite who lives in your neighborhood, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow among you. Next one, Observe the Feast of Booths for seven days when you gather the harvest from your threshing floor and your wine vat. Rejoice at your festival. You, your son, your daughter, your servant, your maid, the Levite, the foreigner, and the orphans, and the widows who live in your neighborhood. Are you noticing a pattern here? When you harvest your grain and forget a sheaf back in the field, huh, a command that's based on you forgetting. Cultivate the art of forgetting. Specifically, where you put your resources. Because they're going to end up someplace that they need to be. So don't be such a penny picker. Let the change fall. Let that wad of bills fall. And don't go back for it and try to search for it and see if somebody found it at the restaurant. Because someone did. And hopefully, they're exactly the ones he intended. OK, anyway, sorry, sorry. When you harvest your grain and forget a sheep back in the field, don't go back and get it. Leave it there for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow so that God, your God, will bless you in all your work. And when you shake the olives off your trees, don't go back over the branches and strip them bare. What's left is for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. And when you cut the grapes in your vineyard, hello, don't take every last grape. Leave a few for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. I should have you all saying the chorus here. Don't ever forget that you were a slave in Egypt. I command you, do what I'm telling you. I think this is the last one. Every year, every third year, the year of the tithe, give a tenth of your produce to the Levite, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow, so that they may eat their fill in your cities. And then in the presence of God, your God, say this, I have brought the sacred share. I have given it to the Levite, foreigner, orphan, and widow, What you commanded, I've done. I haven't detoured around your commands. I haven't forgotten a single one. Uh, Is that a single one? Commands? Or a single one? You want to know why I'm here? What's driven me to this point? Why am I still... I'm asked this all the time. Many disgruntled people passed through this place over the years because this is a place, have you noticed, with people. (laughs) And to quote Jerry Seinfeld, people, they're the worst. (laughs) Many disgruntled people will come across my path and they'll say, I can't deal with what's going on here. How can you still be here? My answer, we feed the foreigner and the orphan and the widow. And where that is happening, God dwells. Everything that happens in this room. It's a delightful bonus. And God is pleased. But God's heart dwells where we are on our knees, wearing an apron and serving the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. Why am I here? Because when that hall was brand spanking new, this would be, what, 2003, 2004? It was a Wednesday night, and somebody came through saying, I need a pastor. I immediately, I was so tempted to do Peter's thing. I do not know. I have no idea. I at least had the sense to ask, oh, what do you need? Okay, yeah, I'm a pastor. All right, at least couched it. All right. Because depending on what they said, it would be, let me find you one. (laughs) We'll find who the pastor on call is. All right. This is a woman from our community. No, yeah, from our community. Not our community, from the community. She was driving on Chinden. She saw what looked like a very haggard old woman with a big German shepherd dog. She's clearly homeless, foodless, helpless, hopeless. And she picked her up and brought her up the street. Here, she brought her and sat her in Heritage Hall, right beneath the stained glass window. And then she went to look for a pastor. And so I say, "Okay, what, what, what can, what can I do for you?" And she said, "I brought this woman here because you people help people. Yes, yes, we do. That's what we do. Who do you have?" And she led me out to her, and then she took off. And I'm with this woman who was older. Well, it wasn't the years, it was the mileage. And I, and I just, I, you know, I just knelt down. I'm not trying to make myself saintly, but she's sitting. And so I just, I just knelt down, and I'm listening to her story. And the cigarette smell, everything else. I mean, it's all there. And the glorious, brand-new heritage hall, as she is enshrined by our stained glass window. Her dog begins acting up and she, and she starts banging on that dog. And she is yelling profanities in Heritage Hall. <laughs> As she is enshrined in a stained glass window. And I looked at her and I say, in my heart, God, this is wild what I get to do I get to bless your daughter I get to tell her you're her you are her daughter so I went and I found Kelly Murdoch who uh, we were actually co-leading a group at that point and I said Kelly I need you to come we're gonna we're gonna find this woman a place to stay for the night and we're gonna pray for her give her what else she needs and so we did it was actually Chinden Motor Inn. I always hate leaving anybody at Chinden Motor Inn or so many. Anyway, but that was what was available, and she was happy and thrilled for it. And then we both just took turns praying for her. You are a daughter of God. This, too, is a daughter of Abraham. Yes? This is why I'm here. Because this is the anchor practice that we embrace here. I would love to take time to well goodness, we have Steve and Debbie over here. We've got Mick and Chris over here, and and they are stewards in our food pantry currently. And then and then we've got Karen, Karen, Karen over here, medical clinic. I don't Velma, gosh, the names. I don't know if I have all the names, but God has all the names. Karen King and her beautiful husband, Jack think they're on the coast, the garden, Tiffany's, Chad and Angela, feeding God's children. Last month, I did a three-header funeral in the park, Julia Davis Park, under a spreading tree. There were three people that were all connected that I'm doing that memorial service for them. And right across the street, feeding God's children is happening. It was the pursuit team doing it that day. And so on one side of the street, we're burying and comforting. On the other side of the feet, we're feeding and encouraging. The foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. I would just like if you... Oh, gosh. Steve, I don't know what to do with this. Steve is going to be up. I'm going to leave it for you to do it. I just want to... No, I'm going to do it. Could you just stand if you're involved, volunteering out in the pantry... In the garden, in the medical clinic, feeding God's children, just go ahead and stand. Would you please? I'm not going to humiliate you. Okay. OK. <laughs> Behold, oh wait, Chrysalis house. Yes, yeah, stand up. Oh gosh. Wow. OK. Okay, now I'm going to celebrate recovery and I'm looking for Janet. Okay, see, that's the thing. Once you start, these are the ways we minister to broken lives. Behold the other worship team that's not on this stage but is on that one. And wherever the stage is found, that's where you show up. Lee, God bless you. Okay. I didn't humiliate you too much, did I? Okay. My time is up. Pallets cleansed away. I will ask you all to stand. And let me just pray. Let me just pray. Let me just pray for God to do with all of this what he would. Adonai, Lord of hosts, you have bared your arm, a hand that is stretched out still. Thank you for the way that's happened in this place, Lord. From the earliest days, Father, our hearts have been set to engage our hands to help the foreigner and the orphan and the widow, the most needy, the most vulnerable among us, Lord. Father, thank you for that anchoring value in this place. And let that flame burn brightly. We pray, Father, for provision for the pantry as these are difficult times, Lord. And that's why we have a basket out in Heritage Hall. Things are needed. Food is needed. Young blood is always welcome. Old blood, too. Blue blood, red blood. All of it welcome, Lord. Thank you that this is a place where we can find a home in which our hearts can be engaged and our hands, Lord, can be busy in your work. So fill us, God. And I pray for each one that's present here, that leads, that oversees, that serves. Lord, anchor us. And I would pray for an anchoring, a deep hunger, Lord, to anchor in larger chunks of scripture, Father, that we can take with us and that will sustain us when our devices will no longer work. And when there's not a book available, because what's a book? But we will have it in us, Lord. Lord, we pray the prayer of James, having rid ourselves of that old wardrobe in all of its broken waves, in humble brokenness, to wrap ourselves around the word already embedded deeply within, which is able to make us and all around us whole. And we ask in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, shalom. Go make the invisible God visible. There are words on the screen. Read the words. People are here to pray with you. If the word up there applies, come. If one of those doesn't apply, but you have something you need prayer for, come. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.